0: Hey guys, welcome to Salt Company. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors of Salt City Church. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Salt Company is the college ministry of Salt City. And so it's great to be here with you guys. I'm excited to teach on a topic that I think a lot of us have been thinking about quite a bit over the past several months. And we all remember it was actually 5.8 miles from here. I looked it up on Google Maps that uh, George Floyd was killed in our city, and that became a flashpoint that revealed a brokenness, not just in the heart of our state, but also in the heart of our nation, and not just in the heart of our nation, but also in the heart of the world, and since that time, we've seen protests in our streets, and we've seen a lot of people rightly angry about what happened there, and a lot of people have been wondering, can the brokenness that exists in the world ever be healed? And so different people have been shouting out different things, and so some people think that it's about changing policies. Some people think it's about punishment for past wrongs. Some people are really loud about Defunding the police, or they're really loud about certain other justice issues that they're passionate about, or they think will fix the brokenness in the world. And I'm really not here to comment about how those policies would work or how those things uh, would work out if we implemented them, because I'd be way way in over my head if I tried to talk about that. But what I am here to say is that what the Apostle Paul draws out of this text is that at the heart of it, only Jesus can make us one. Only Jesus can bring the reconciliation to the brokenness in the world that we all ultimately long for. And so we're going to see sort of three scenes in the story of redemption that point us in that direction. And the first scene is that we were separated. So we're going through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter th- uh, 2, and we're starting with verse 11. Okay? 2, verses 11 and 12. That's what I'm going to read first. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, so here's what you need to know about the background of this text is that Jews and Gentiles, who Paul is describing here, were bitter enemies. So Jews were ethnically and religiously, and racially different than the Gentiles. So a Gentile is simply someone who's not a Jew, and they felt like they were superior to the Gentiles because of those realities. But if you flip back in your Bible to the beginning, when God calls the first Jew, a guy named Abraham, what you see is that that was not God's original design or intention for the Jewish people. God called out Abraham and he says, hey, I'm calling you out because I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to every nation on earth. And throughout the history of Israel, what God continues to make clear to Abraham's offspring is that he didn't choose the Jewish people to be his chosen people so that they could be smug and self-righteous about it. He chose them to to be his people because of grace. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells the people of Israel that I didn't choose you because you were smarter than everybody else or because you were such a great nation or because I thought you were so awesome, but he said, I chose you that my name might be known through you and the reason that I love you at bottom is simply because I love you. I love you because I love you. And then he reiterated to them that their purpose was that God's blessing would go to them so that his blessing would go through them. But like many of us do with blessings in our lives, instead of allowing those blessings to go through them, whether it be monetarily or religiously or blessings of material possessions, or blessings of knowing and loving and serving God, instead of allowing that to go through them, they hoarded it for themselves and they felt proud of themselves for what they had and what other people didn't have. And so they looked at the Gentiles and they said, we're in, you're out. And they built walls of separation, literal walls of separation, to keep the two groups of people apart to let them know that they were inferior and they wore it like a badge of honor that they were God's chosen people. And so the question is, how do you bring Jews and Gentiles together? Not only was there racial separation and ethnic separation and cultural separation, but there was deep embedded thousands of years of history of religious separation. How would they be brought together? And Paul gives a surprising answer. He doesn't say, hey guys, just try to get together and right the wrongs. Let's bring in a political solution or let's have a debate with one another and let's hash out our differences. No, he actually says that the primary problem is not that they're separated from one another. The primary problem that they have is that they're separated from Jesus. you see that? He said in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So what he's saying is the horizontal problems that exist in society have as their root cause a vertical problem. The reason that people are fighting around us, the reason that there are divisions of every kind, and that those divisions have existed since the beginning of human history is because people have chosen, rather than being connected to God in a life-giving relationship, have been separated from God and from his son, Jesus, by their own choice and their own will and their own rebellion. And so here's what trying to fix the problems of racism in that society and in our society is like, doing it's like if you had the check engine soon light on okay you guys know the check engine light comes on and many of you are like me and you just ignore that light right but sometimes what the check engine light is indicating is that you should check the engine because there's a problem with the engine right and so yeah somebody's like whoa i'm writing that down if you got nothing else out of the sermon you can you can take that one to the bank all right so here's what it's like doing it's like there's a huge problem with your engine and you're like me and you're just like will the light just turn off it's driving me absolutely nuts And, and so instead of Dealing with the root issue, there's a problem with my engine. Instead, I'm just going to either take a hammer and I'm going to bash my dashboard until the light goes off. Or I'm going to find the wire that connects so that I, I can disconnect it. I can cut it so that the light turns off. But if you do those things, you're never going to deal with the problem. Because the problem is The engine. And what's going to happen is eventually you're going to be driving down the road and your engine's going to overheat and you're going to be that lame dude on the side of the road with your hood open and it's going to be smoking and you're going to be standing there on the side of 94 with your cell phone calling your mom. Because you didn't deal with the problem. You dealt with the symptoms instead of dealing with the problem. And what Paul is saying is that the divisions in his society and the divisions in our society – are owing to the root problem that there is brokenness between people and God. So how can the problem be solved? And he's talking to people who have already tasted of the problem being solved in their own lives. And he says to us who are Christians... Remember, we have been brought close to Jesus. Look at verses 13 through 18 with me. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, here's the difference between what the world's saying and what we're saying in this room. There's a but now. There's lots of people in our society who are recognizing the problem. But there's never a but now. Because there's never any good news for anybody. But as Christians, we have good news. There's something that has happened in the past that if you believe it and receive it and allow it to transform you from the inside out will entirely change your perspective to such a degree that your relationships across gender lines, across racial lines, even relationships in your own family, all of those barriers will be broken down. How can they be broken down? Listen, it's not through human achievement. It's not primarily through the changing of laws. It's not new policing strategies. It's not actually about anything that we do. It's not something that we can fix by something that we do, which is really hard for us to hear. It's about the blood. Not your blood, not my blood, but it's about the blood of Jesus. Did you see that in the text? Do you see that I'm not just making this up? He says that we've been brought near by The blood of Christ. So if the root issue is that we are separated from Christ, then the solution is that we would be brought near to Christ. And the good news is that you don't have to bring yourself near by your own achievements, but you can be brought near through the blood of Jesus alone. And the hostility can be wiped away from your own heart and from the heart of anyone who will give up trying to solve the problem themselves and will instead trust in Jesus. Do you know why that's good news? There's a lot of hostility out there. Do you know why there's outrage? We even call it outrage culture. It's because when people sin, people deserve to die. In other words, people deserve to bleed. So you got one group of people over here, and they're saying, we want them to bleed. And you've got another group of people over here, and they're saying, we want them to bleed. And here's what we're saying as Christians. We know the one who already bled for everybody. His name's Jesus. And if you'll put your trust in him, his bloodshed will be counted as your bloodshed. And you don't have to die for your own sins because he died in your place for your sins, and we also don't have to be mad at anybody else or outraged at anybody else because we are recipients of the grace of God, which means we know what it's like to be undeserving of love and to have someone else bleed on our behalf, and so we are more than willing to bleed on other people's behalf rather than make them pay for their sin. It's about the blood of Jesus. And when you believe the blood of Jesus, and when that reality begins to sink down into your heart, what begins to happen is it entirely changes your relationships. Because when you're brought close to Jesus and you realize that you don't deserve to be there What you want to do is begin to bring people close into your life who are very different than you and do not resemble you racially or economically or even religiously. And you want to be in relationship with them because your life mission stops being self-preservation and it begins to be reconciliation. Because it's been modeled for you by Jesus. When you've received mercy, you begin to want to extend that mercy to other people. Do you guys remember the scene from Les Miserables? When Jean Valjean, he's a convicted criminal, and he's uh, going to this priest's house and he's spending the night. And he gets up in the middle of the night, and even though this priest has been incredibly kind to him, he gets up in the middle of the night, and he starts to take a bunch of candlesticks from him. Maybe takes some money. It depends on which version you've watched or read. And he takes all of these things in the middle of the night, and then the priest catches him in the middle of the night. A- and he punches the guy in the face and shoves him to the ground and runs away. And that's a reflection of, of him treating the priest the way that he's been treated. He's been unjustly and unfairly treated. He's been oppressed. He's been thrown in prison. And so he's putting everyone else in his life in prison, every chance that he gets. And then he's caught by the authorities and he's brought back to the priest. And the guy still has a black eye. And the authorities say, Is this the man who stole all these things from you? And he said, Well, yeah, he's he's the man who has my things, but it's not because he stole them. I gave him all those things. And then he looks at John Valjean and he said, but you forgot a few things. And he goes and grabs more things and puts them in his backpack and continues to load him up. And then he looks at him and he says, in the same way that I've shown you mercy, you go show mercy to other people. And his life is changed on the spot. He lives a completely different life because when you receive mercy deep down in your heart, and you understand that it was mercy and that you didn't deserve it, your entire life is changed. And you stop trying to put people in prison, and you start trying to get people out of prison with you, and other people begin to be reconciled to you and to God. And you become a minister of reconciliation. And when a whole bunch of people start to believe this message and they start to live out this message, what begins to be formed is a a church. And what Paul says about the church is that in the church we're not an institution that does corporate things, but we're a household. We are a family. Look at verses 19 through 22 with me. He says, so then, in other words, in light of what Jesus has done for you by his blood on the cross, he's brought you near. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So sometimes when we think about the church, what we think about is the group of people that we are currently in a room worshiping with. And the Apostle Paul wants us to zoom out. And he wants us to think of the church as a multi-ethnic group of people that is all over this globe. Every person who has bowed the knee to King Jesus, who has put their trust in him, so that their fellowship is like a family, and Jesus is like the cornerstone of the house that they live in, and the foundation of the house that they live in is built on the stuff that we're learning right now. The books of the Bible, written by the prophets and the apostles. So here's who's included in the family of God. People who have bowed the knee to King Jesus and who say, this is the truth. I'm banking my life on the Bible as the truth. And the church goes far beyond the city of Minneapolis. And it goes far beyond the state of Minnesota, far beyond the United States. It goes to every tongue, tribe, and nation on the face of the earth. And Jesus even says that he won't come back until there are people from every Ethnic group on planet Earth who have placed their trust in Jesus. So there are no strangers and aliens based on the color of your skin in the kingdom of God. Everybody comes in the same way. And it's not about your pedigree, and it's not even about your religious background. We all enter through the narrow gate, and the narrow gate's name is Jesus. And if you've entered through Jesus, then you are fully 100% part of and in the family of God. And once you're in the family of God, you can't get kicked out of the family of God. You're in. And the whole reason That God built his house this way is so that within his household, there would be a diverse expression. And so some of us, all of us should be, but some of us are discouraged that our local fellowship is not more diverse. And you know what? You should be discouraged about that. We should weep about that. We should be upset about that because when we read passages like this and we see God's ideal for the world, it makes our hearts hurt because we're like, God, do this here. Do this here. Let me see this with my own eyes. Let me see people from every place who look different than me and are different than me gathered together As one family in Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Guys, what would that look like to see it? Do you know that all of us who are Christians, one day, not fully in this life, hopefully more in this life, as we trust in Christ, as we become people who reach out to others around us who are different than us and and seek to reconcile them first to God bring them into right relationship with God and then to bring them into the church and into right relationship with us as soon as we become forgiving people hopefully more people will be attracted and want to be a part of our group we'll see it in part here but what the Bible promises us is a fullness of this reality that we could never imagine In other words, this is the only plan that is guaranteed to succeed. John, another one of Jesus' followers, got to look into the future, into eternity, in the book of Revelation. And here's what he says in Revelation chapter 7, starting with verse 9. He said, after this, I looked... And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, And along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. If you are a Christian, you will see this reality with your own eyes. You will stand and you will look around and everyone will not look the same. People will look very different than you. And there will be people speaking different languages and extolling God with us together. And we will be one. And we will worship Jesus together. And this is what the world is longing for. And this is what people want to see, but it can only be made possible through Jesus. And so here's my encouragement to you. Believe in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Tell as many people as you possibly can about Jesus. And even if the world makes fun of you and they say that will never work, trust in his word, and as God changes our hearts, we will get to see him do in part what he will do forever right here in this place. Let's pray. Jesus, it is amazing in a world where there's so much hostility and there's so much anger and outrage And there seems to be a lot of people who can see the problem, but no one who has a great solution to the problem. It is amazing to open up your word and see you declare the solution in Christ. And God, even those of us who believe in Jesus... We at times drift from the truth that you tell us in your word and we forget about it. And so it doesn't have the impact in life change that it ought to on us. And so, God, we want to bow before you and say, Jesus, where there's division and there's brokenness and there's unforgiveness and there's prejudice and there's racism and there's anger in my life. Jesus, would you start with me? Would you change me? Would you make me more like you, God? Would I be a person who doesn't build walls between people and myself, but who tears them down like King Jesus? And pray this all in his name, for his glory. Amen.